pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. This is Bullies Follies, an Angreement podcast special with Michelle and Catherine. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the second episode of Bullies Follies Follies. an Angreement special. Yes, this is a spin-off agreement. If you missed the first episode, this is where Michelle and I, Catherine, are um, learning the art of Foley, bringing you along. Like it. Some, something like that. We aren't like fully immersing ourselves. And we're bringing you along on this semi-immersive journey in which we read about Foley, learn about Foley, share our Foley journey with one another and with you, and create a fully developed radio play. With Foley. Every episode is going to be first. We talk about our reading of the week. The Foley Grail by Vanessa Theme Ament. We read one part per week and talk about it. And we're realizing as we go through <laughs> that this is really designed for like students in a film school. <laughs> yes, this is a textbook. This is a high level textbook. This is not for you or I. This is not for you listeners, and we're going to just do our best. We're just, we're just diving on in there. I, um, I am clearly not the audience. Um, nope. <laughs> there's a lot of assumed knowledge that I do not have, but here we are. Yeah. We, based on, inspired by, loosely or not, the reading we did, we each make a sound that we will share with one another and with you. And, and then finally... We play a clip for you that is an episode of our radio play that has to include both of the sounds and additional Foley that in the in the spirit of true Foley that we bring in organically to enhance the plot and the characters. And so all of the sounds that you hear are sounds that we made ourselves. We are not relying on any sound effect libraries. We are creating all of our own sounds in the spirit of Foley. Yep. We haven't begun to do, to do this yet as we're recording right now. So telling them, um, tell them all our secrets. Yeah, good luck to us. You're, you'll be transported to the future at the end of this episode and see how far our Foley skills have come. Hopefully. I'm excited. They have developed further than, yeah. I, am, I can tell you with 100% certainty, they are better than they were when we began because we started at zero. So this week we read the second part of the Foley Grail, which, um, as you have already said, Michelle was highly technical. It is how Foley artists work, the protocols, conventions, and hierarchy. What did you think of this, this second section? So um, chapter four is fire in the hole, the players and their responsibilities. Um, and my main thought was, oh my goodness, I have never, ever, ever thought about how many people and how much work goes into creating a movie. And this is just for one tiny part of a movie. Like just, yeah, I mean, I guess like you, you see the credits and you see like, you know, the names and names and names and names and names that keep scrolling and keep scrolling and keep scrolling. And I, now I see how we got so many names on those credits because it sounds incredibly complicated. So yeah, there's like a million different people beyond the Foley artists there's sound editors there's the soundtrack people clearly very technical terms I've remembered from this reading but I did want to ask you as we're showing everyone how the sausage gets made is our radio play going to have any form of soundtrack or music what I, do we think what do you think reading how that is done it is very complicated but i also know we have someone willing to do it so maybe that's something to think about do we so want you probably track? already know the answer to this listeners because you heard episode one that we have not recorded <laughs> yet so you're like why are they asking this clearly they've already made this decision <laughs> yes either you heard beautiful music or no music and you're and already answering that 
And, and that answer grew out of the knowledge we gained right here. Yes, this is when it happened. Reverse reverse sausage making? Right. We're throwing the sausage up. I don't know. How tear the sausage works. apart. Right. The casing has been ripped open. Surprise, <laughs> it's ground meat. All this to say, yeah, there's there's so many people involved. Again, we talked about how the the most desirable form to have Foley artists is two Foley artists. You only have one Foley artist if the budget is very small, but you really want a team. So as I was trying to, uh, if you feel like we've summarized sufficiently, I was like, what are we going to We talk? have not, but I cannot. I cannot. Right. There's like I a mean, huge flowchart. Yes, for our purposes, this chapter was confusing to us and it made us know that there's a lot of people that are involved in making movies. So and chapter five did not get any clearer because it is called Spotting and Cueing and it has illustrations of cue cards that I don't understand in any way, shape, or form, um, other than to say that this seems like a very involved, very complicated, and often, as it says in the book, quite boring job of being like, this needs to happen here, this needs to happen here. But so I was like, okay, what are we going to talk about in the podcast? Because I cannot, one, I cannot pretend that I understand all these technical terms. Um, maybe I can. I have a PhD. It's kind of part of the gig, right? You know, you're like, oh, yeah, totally understood what you know, Kant was saying there, got it. BS on the fly. You got to be able to do it. But I don't, I just don't think that's going to be very useful for you, our listeners. So I was like, what are some things I could pull out of here that I think we could actually talk about? And one of them is on page 47. I thought it was really fascinating. The line right above um, team collaboration, where it says, there is never the luxury of waiting to see what someone else has done before the artists perform their craft. The team works in unison, but not necessarily together. And I just thought that that was such an interesting concept and such an interesting metaphor for so much of what we do. And my mind went, I mean, obviously here we are still in a pandemic and still, you know, like trying to just be dealing with as my city floods for the second time this week um dealing with like the the very real consequences of climate change and I feel like what are we doing if not working in unison but not necessarily together right like we're all just sort right. of like, um and and that just made me like when I stopped I stopped when I when I got to that section and I kind of went back and reread some of the things I just saw and so many of the skills that they talk about, because this is this is designed to be a textbook, right? This is designed to be given probably in like an intro level class for students who are considering which track within production they want to go into and are exploring fully as a possibility. Um, and so the the writer, the author, has very clearly laid out like these are some skills you should be working on. This is this is the the quality that you need. These are the qualities that you need to have in order to be a good fully artist. Like do some self-reflection on whether this is a good fit for you. Think about how you're going to have to develop these. And I was like, you know, a lot of these skills are skills that we just all need because yeah. it's about like patience and listening and ability to communicate clearly and like to let your ego go out of it because maybe you had a really cool sound, but it didn't fit. And you just have to be like, yeah, well, <laughs> because the other thing that was so interesting to me is she repeats in here several times, like, don't give them too many Foley tracks. That is useless. Yes. That, that will hurt them. And on um, the top of page 49, they said, there is the famous story of Richard Portman, a revered mixer who simply threw out tracks 13 through 24 of the Foley and only dubbed tracks one through 12. It was neither the first nor last time that a mixer has been burdened with the task of dealing with too many cues that did not need to be performed at all. And so I don't know. I was just kind of sitting with the yeah. thought of like, how do we work in unison, but not necessarily together? And how do you decide when you're giving too much or not enough? What cues do you need to cut from your life? <laughs> I also highlighted that part. No, I agree. I feel like this, we're working in unison, but not together. I don't know if this relates to what you're thinking about, but just in very brief succession, boom, 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 boom. I have been seeing this trend. I was really interested and I gave a paper on it about a trend maybe pre-COVID like three or four years ago about um, apocalypse and how a lot of pop culture was obsessed not just with apocalypse 
but also just what is after what happens after the apocalypse and so there's like the good place and there was one there was a show daniel radcliffe was in at the moment about the afterlife there was like a show called god friended me where the world was going to end and god was trying to tell someone on facebook but i think we've and so the whole theorization of that was we are trying desperately to be like what is after what is after we know an end is coming what is after and so this working in unison, but not together, I think there's been a big shift, especially with COVID and going through COVID and seeing how we as a human collective have handled or not handled that. And now I'm seeing in pop culture again and again and again, this idea of, oh yeah, it's over. It's completely over, but how are we going to get just a teeny seed of humanity to exist? We know the world's done, we're done. But is there any way that we can just kind of live on? And of course, that takes huge collectivity. That takes people willing to see something out that they will not see the end of. This message of you need to give up your whole life for something you're not going to see the end point of so that there can be something beyond you. And I'm not articulating that very concisely because I don't think it is concise but this idea of we have finally come to terms with there will be an end but how can we try to just eke a little bit of humanity out of that end and um it's just really really interesting to me here's something embarrassing I recently watched Zombies 3. Movie my, my daughter recently watched Zombies 3. Um, she said it was not as good as it could have been, but she was very excited and had been waiting for it to come out. So, As had I. I feel like I've talked about like a lot of Disney movies with your daughter. Speaking of Zombies 3, wow. The um, climate, pol- not climate politics, but the climate eco-messaging of that movie, when we were young, we had Captain Planet. When we were young, it was like, hey kids, recycle. The the message about the climate and the environment of Zombies 3 is the world is on fire. It will burn. Get on a spaceship and go and try to live somewhere else. And like, that's the message kids are getting these days. And I'm just like, wow, wow. In, in 20 years, in 20 years, 25 years it has changed so radically and like I am so sorry future generations are the, are the people doing that writing that is that intentional because they're hoping to spark that kind of creative techno gumption in the younger generation and it hopes that they'll save us all or is it like a, a much more subconscious just like if I've given up all hope is the only place to get hope for this kind of like, well, there's got to be something else out there. Um, and I, I am pretty firmly not in that, like techno, like I, I am of the, like, hey, if it's going to end, it's either going to end here or we're going to figure it out here. Like I am not, I am not the, let's go colonize Mars. It will save us. Right. I don't want to be Elon Musk's indentured servant in order to save humanity. I, that doesn't sound adequate to me. This new movement does not appeal to you. It does not. This is not <laughs> a die. To go die on a spaceship halfway to another planet so that the children you bear on that spaceship might get to it. No, thank no, you. No, I'm, I am firmly in the modest mouse, the bury me with it. That is much Ooh. more my ethos for this, for, for sure. Just let, just, what, what is the is line that? Is that the most millennial thing anyone could ever utter? Not probably. only the statement, but using modest mouse to work. Probably, probably, there, there it is. But I am also not... And this is where I think that, you know, I'll, I'll depart a bit. I am not of the, like, it's over. It's not, in fact, man, we have totally gone, taken this holy grail into a very deep. We miss agreement. I think we miss agreement a little. <laughs> um, but I'm reading, I, I just finished reading Hope in the Dark by Rebecca Solnit, uh, which is, she's a climate activist and she wrote this during the Bush administration which makes it a little outdated, but I love, love, love the philosophy of it. And I'm going to, I'm going to read like a couple of key quotes because it's all about like, how do you maintain hope in the face of really dark things? Um, and what I love most about what she said in here, because I have, I have often been called like Pollyannish and overly optimistic and people are like, oh, Michelle, will you shut up with your, like, it's all going to be okay. 
And I am not an optimist. Like I am not an optimist. No, you, I am not no, like it's all going to work out. Um, but I am also not a pessimist. And I really love how she discusses in here that like pessimists tend to be like, you silly optimists, like, aren't you so, you know, you're so naive and stupid. She's like, pessimists have given up the future to fatalism just as much as an optimist. An optimist right. says it's all going to be okay. And a fatalist says nothing is going to be okay. Neither one of those are taking any responsibility for agency. Neither one of them have put any of their own action into the world. Both of them are just excusing the future so that they can do whatever they want without having to feel any guilt or consequences. And I just do not relate to either one of those things because I feel very firmly that it is my responsibility to do the best that I can, right? To and do so something, yeah. What is what is the philosophy for us who is like many episodes ago in agreement, we really loved the congressman is like, what else are you going to do? Yes. And all, my what else are you going to do is like, well, you have to keep working towards something. And knowing full well that something probably won't arrive. I know. I know the world's on fire. I've been my papers I have written. I have, am now in academia among some groups known as a climate nihilist. But that I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to not do anything. Did, did you notice in the scene? I'm sorry, listeners. You're just, you're just along for our stream of consciousness. Um, let's just do a slide whistle real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> did you notice? I rewatched Everything Everywhere all at once, which I think is now my favorite movie. It's um, the best movie. And oh I am gosh. not going to spoil it. I am going to talk about a scene very late in the movie, but it's completely out of context and will in no way spoil what is... I mean, there is, I, I want to teach it. I'm teaching Kurt Vonnegut. Um, and I would love, love, love to have my students watch yeah. it alongside Kurt Vonnegut. It would be such a perfect fit, but because of the scene with the butt plugs, I'm like, I cannot put this out and require it for like public view. Like I just, I can't. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like I understand that this is, they, they wanted the whimsy of butt plugs, not a, <laughs> But I really wish that they had considered the academic implications of how <laughs> limiting that choice was for teachers. I think that's the my favorite that you've ever said in the world. <laughs> I understand the need for the whimsy of butt plugs, but they didn't think of the academic implications. <laughs> it's true. It's entirely true. And I, I will stand by that sentence. <laughs> anyway. There is a scene, which I will not contextualize here because I don't want to give any spoilers. It is in a laundromat after a window gets broken. Mm, you got yep. the scene in mind? Okay. Mm -hmm. Waymond grabs a broom and starts sweeping up the glass from the broken window. And I don't know if it was intentionally a call to that, the Senator who was cleaning up after, that was after <gasps> the insurrection, right? Yeah. But it certainly is a parallel, whether it was an intentional parallel or parallel or not, right? This like, what else are you going to do? Uh, you, um, so I was talking because we, we are reading this book and now we have another, um, like active hope is the next one that this adult book club, I mean, we are very desperately seeking for motivation to do the exact same, the exact thing that we're talking about here, right? Like to be able to remain active and engaged in a world that feels like we're at the terminal point, right? Like if you can't see a clear future path, how do you maintain action that is for a future? Um, yes. and so that we are, we are actively seeking how to do that. So we're reading all these books about it. We are helping, you know, each other out when we hit to dark places. And I have really landed on, it's none of my business what the future is or what anybody in the future does with it. Like I, I even have literally used that as a mantra before. Like when I start to be like, but what if, but what if, what if, and I literally stop myself and be like, it's none of your business. You have this job to do because this is who you are and where you are. You cannot predict the future. And you know that your job is to do the best that you can with what you have right now. That is your business. That other stuff is not your business. Like you are, you are using some sort of future jump to excuse yourself from action here, whether that's yeah. because you can be like, oh, well, I couldn't figure out what the right thing to do was. So I didn't have to do anything or, oh, there's no point to any of this because the future is so bleak. Or, oh, what I do won't matter because the future is already going to be fine. 
All of those are things that are just designed to excuse me from the actions that I'm responsible for taking. And what happens in the future is none of my business. It is my job to do my job. I love that. I love that so much. That's going to be my new mantra. It's better than death comes for us all. But I think those things are linked. Yeah, it's absolutely. Linked. Death comes for us all. It's none of my business. None of my, I didn't, I didn't pick that. I didn't get to like, that's outside of my little zone. There's such a difference between like hope and faith here in this discussion, yes. right? And like to be hopeful is, is, is just so much more active, I think, than to have faith. Faith feels very um, passive in the way you were saying. And I think that that's what bugs me, that when people have hope, they're seen as naive, they're seen as weaker, they're seen as silly. I don't like that. All those things, that doesn't mean they're weak. That doesn't mean they're stupid. That actually takes much more strength most of the time. So, yeah. Very appropriate. I think this passage connects with what we're talking about really well. This is um, from, again, Hope in the Dark by Rebecca Solnit, a book I recommend, but that does feel outdated because she's talking about the Bush administration. And I'm like, oh, isn't that cute? You thought that's so cute. All right. Um, I say this because I say I say all this because hope is not like a lottery ticket. You can sit on the sofa and clutch feeling lucky. I say it because hope is an axe you break down doors with in an emergency, because hope should shove you out the door, because it will take everything you have to steer the future away from endless war, from the annihilation of the earth's treasures and the grinding down of the poor and marginal. Hope just means another world might be possible, not promised, not guaranteed. Hope calls for action. Action is impossible without hope. And that is what I thought about while reading about the technical hierarchy of Foley art. <laughs> Maybe I need to go and put an axe noise in when you say tear down the door with an axe. An axe. Chop. <laughs> um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, you know, fully is deceptively philosophical in that way. Well, and the people doing it, you are putting so much work into this. Often on a set where people are trying to cut what they do because they see it as unnecessary, even as they've hired them to do it, which just feels really mean, right? Like, oh, I know I need you, but I would like for you to do as little as possible because I don't want to have to pay you, which I mean, I guess a lot of us are in that position right now, but it just is exhausting, right? To be like, okay, so you're recognizing that what I do is important, uh, important enough for you to bring me here, but not important enough for you to like respect it or give me the space to do it. Exactly. That'll be fun. Yes. To compensate my worth. Yeah. Big problem. Um, and then, you know, like us as the consumers who appreciate their work, don't even know that we're appreciating their work, right? Like uh, most of us are not being like, oh man, that Foley artist must've been so good. I, these sounds were just right on point because a lot of their, the strength, as they've mentioned again and again in here is that it is not noticeable, that it is so organic, that it folds into the, the film as a whole, that like when you've done your job well, you're pretty much invisible right yeah on page 50 I really liked it goes from 50 to 51 it was pretty much the last part of this section and it said the Foley stage is a wonderful laboratory to create fantastic magic in addition to performing ordinary and uneventful sounds that create the sonic life of a character it should not be a place to get lost in your imagination to the point where you lose your sense of practicality so in other oh, words, yeah. you can't be a diva. You don't get to be a diva in the Foley stage. Nope, nope, nope. Actors, they might get to, to do, do that. They can, they can make their demands and directors for sure, but not Foley artists. I also want to note before we wrap this up to see if you have, um, that they didn't talk about walking again. Walking seems to be 90% of all Foley art. Oh, I also did want to point out that I really loved that Tim Burton was going through one of these meetings with Foley artists and was like, oh, we need, there's a door. We need that sound. There's, and then stopped himself and went, you guys know what you're doing. Let's just go to the parts where I think there might be trouble. And I wish more people in the world would do that, right? Like if you have hired an expert, let that expert use their expertise, like let them do it. And I just, it was just a, a beautiful moment. I agree. And yeah, it really made me appreciate Tim Burton. No, that's the best when people hire talented people and, and trust them 
to do their job. And that, that always gets the best products and the best results always. But also people are not used to it. Cause like I've hired professionals to do things and like, okay, what do you want us to do? I'm like, I don't know. Like I hired, like, you know, you're like, well, do you want us to do it this way or this way or this way? I'm like, which is the best way? <laughs> like, you tell me. And they're like, well, wait, you're trusting me. And yes. Yes. Cause you've got the expertise. Please go do it. Any final thoughts on this section? That it would take four hours for an experienced editor to cue 10 oh, minutes of film. I know. Oh my gosh. Four hours for 10 minutes and more if it's an animation. Right. And I think it's interesting that they go through and when they're doing the cueing, they'll have all different types and they'll put the different sounds in categories so they can make all the types of sounds that they need. Like all of the footsteps at once, all of the paper sounds at once, all of the cloth sounds at once that like, I, I, thought, I thought that was cool. And that maybe it's something we can use for our sounds that are not like the ones yes. we advance, but the ones we add after we have the full script. So speaking of sounds. Ready? Ready to get to the sounds? You go first. I go first. And then I will explain how I feel like it is loosely connected to this week's reading. Oh, I know that. That's good. That is something or someone falling down the stairs. Yes, it is. Good job. Michelle, you have just grown leaps and bounds. Your Foley art exponentially greater. How did you do that? Did you throw something down the stairs? So the way that it is inspired is because it talks about how there is a hierarchy of people <laughs> directing others to do the work. And so I, my daughter, first thing when she wakes up this morning, because, you know, we homeschool, I'm like, you need to do some homeschool stuff, I'm like, or you could help me make the sound of things falling down the stairs. She's like, what kind of things? I'm like, like a body. She's like, do you want me to throw myself down the stairs? I was like, I mean, I was thinking roll. Like, <laughs> Is that why it's so good? That is oh. a body going downstairs. What we ended up doing is we have like a 10 pound medicine ball. So we, we rolled a medicine ball down as she held on. I think, I think take two is her and take four is me. We took turns for who was recording and who was doing it. Um, held on to the side rail so that she wouldn't actually fall. And then like pumped her feet along with the medicine ball so that it would sound like there were multiple body parts hitting simultaneously at different points. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I feel ashamed. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is good. This will just inspire me for next week to step my game up. Okay, I'll tell you what mine was inspired by. Maybe like something, somebody thumping something. Like if someone were like, like beating, beating a rug full of dirt to get the dirt out of it. Ooh, that is actually much closer to how it was made, but. Um, <laughs> not what it was intended to be. Not what it was intended to be. Um, which I feel like this is, I am going to, I am going to defend myself here. And that I feel like a lot of fully artists, if your eyes are seeing it, you'll believe the sound more. Yeah, yeah. And I know that we don't have any visuals for this podcast, but I do wonder if you were seeing a visual along with it, if it would be convincing. So my sound, which is supposed to be a bird flapping. Oh, okay. Is inspired by in the chapter, the very specific ways that they would go through the scripts and decide on things. Um, they talked a lot about the script for Predator and how they were doing sound edits and sound notes in it. And I was just really interested in kind of the marginalia that they had put on this script from Predator. And in one of the lines, it says, when cut to Billy the Indian, hard cut in new BG to establish another no location, a bird cues Ramirez. And then next to that is written, can you fully... Wing, wing flaps question mark so it's like 
can you fully wing flips? Good question. I found a message board on Reddit about Foley art and most people were like, no, just go to a sound library. That's much easier. Some people were like, get a lot of bird seed, capture a bird. And yeah. I, yeah. I, I did, I did not want to capture a bird. So I did buy a bird bath and I hung out by my bird bath. I did not buy the bird bath for this podcast. I bought the bird bath for other reasons, drought related reasons, but no birds came. So everyone was like, we'll use a feather duster. You, I don't have a feather duster. So what I finally landed on um, was various materials, various pieces of clothing that I did just like yank. I yanked on a pair of underwear. I yanked on a towel. And this was just an Oxford button down shirt that I had worked best, I thought. But I also thought, you know what would be good? An umbrella. Maybe an umbrella would be a good bird noise. That failed miserably. The umbrella sounds like somebody chewing potato chips. It's very scrunchy. There's some metal there. I think you could use it for potato chip chewing. So the answer to can you fully bird noise, bird flaps is is unanswered. I'm not a professional, but I did my best. And so now, now we have to, I mean, I think the sounds have to be used as intended. So- so we have to have bird flaps in this episode. Can I tell you a story from when I worked at Absolutely. Birds would get in to the store and they, the risk management team occasionally would show up with pellet guns <gasps> and they were like, yep, it's bird shooting night. And they would go around and try to shoot the birds. And they were so bad at it that like they never got them, but that would be like, they would just, cause it would be like after the store had closed the customers were not in there. I'm ready to get sued. I should, you should probably edit out. Can I tell you a story about when I worked at a unnamed big box store? Yeah, we should probably edit out the name. Um, but yes, birds would get in and uh, they would bring in they would bring in pellet guns and try to shoot the birds. So uh, we could within our within our setting, absolutely try to. Everyone pellet. is about to get a taste of like that basic story reenacted, and now you know when you hear it. That that comes from real life. Real life, real life experience. In fact, many of the tiny details of of this story come from real life experiences uh, at a very large, popular big box store. Okay, so to recap, we have to include something, a body, right? Is that a body? Are you going to say it's a body? Let's say it's a body, a body falling downstairs. Body falling downstairs and a bird flapping and that is what you will be keeping it around. Somewhere in this story, that's going to happen. In this, the second part of our unfolding drama. another thrilling episode of oh shoot we haven't named this we have to name it read a book talk about the book make sounds write a script and now we have to give it a name it's just too much you're doing great we're doing great we can do this um no um i'm waiting here yeah we're all waiting hurry up Processing. Processing. Fine. It's, um, can I speak to the manager? There. Simple. It's all this is leading up to. Spoilers. Great. Thanks. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of Can I Speak to the Manager? 
Last week, Tim was in for quite the rough ride when surrounded by a raging ring of robots and abandoned by his colleagues. Will he make it out alive? Good job. Nice alliteration. Yeah, I like that. Roar, roar, roar. Thanks. Uh, uh, hey, hey, now, uh, hey, 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 come on, uh, uh, come on, just uh, let's be cool here, all right? Are you in need of an escort to frozen foods? Uh, yes, yes, I, 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 I need directions. You should definitely lead, lead the way. Go on. What did you say? Justin Bieber's cool here, please. Is that correct? Uh, no. Ouch! Ouch! Hey, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's not what I said. You are not following. Please present barcode for scanning. I, I don't have a barcode. Uh, ouch! Uh, stop! It hurts. You're burning me. Uh. Time to see what you're made of. Hey! Ow! Oh, 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 metal. Oh, definitely metal. Oh. Ow. Ha! Uh, these robots are more powerful than I thought. Oh, well, I guess you guys never expected me to be able to do this. Ow! 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 Oh, ouch! Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Ow! Hang on, hang on. Eat that, and eat this, and have a taste of this. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Slap that on your Sammy and eat it. It's time to stock some groceries. Right in the nuts and bolts. Ah, oh, come on. This cannot be how I go out. No way. Hello, ghost. What is a ghost? Hey, uh, hey, uh, buddy. Uh, over here. Can you uh, help me out? I'll, I'll tell you all about ghosts uh, if you just help me out here. Code nine four three two banana blue. Code nine four three two banana blue. You uh, well, what happened to them? Are they dead? Ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. The ghosts. Uh, so not everyone believes in ghosts, but this, uh, so some people think, uh, oh, uh, is that one moving? Oh, that one is definitely moving. Yeah. Oh, it's bleeding. Good. Oh. So. Uh, ghosts have been a long-standing part of uh, of many religious beliefs. Religious text located in aisle 4709. Please follow me. But uh, most of the time, we think of them in a pretty kitschy way. Uh, a witchy way by DJ Zombified. Added to store playlist. It is number 437 in queue. Actually, uh, let's head over to the costumes section. I'll, I'll show you. Uh, 
Okay, uh, okay, uh, let's see. Uh, strong commanders, no. Uh, BRB little bitch teams, no. Uh, unicorn MMA fighter, uh, no. Uh, zombie CEO, no. But it's closer. Uh, oh, hey, uh, check it out. R R2D2. It looks a little like you. Huh? What is you scanning image? What is looks like you? I just mean, you know, you're both uh, robots. What is robot? You. You are, you know, like uh, you're something that uh, you're not quite alive right you're not human but you can talk and you know like do stuff I, I, I don't know man you tell me you tell me what is ghost well there aren't any ghost costumes here uh well i, I know uh, come with me we're headed to linens you, you better thank me i i, I freaking hate linens Okay, uh, here we go. Now watch me. I'm, I'm just gonna take this sheet and uh, uh, boo, boo. No, okay. Well, uh, this is what a ghost looks like, uh, like me now. Uh, whoa. Whoa. Ah. What is ghost? Uh, well, uh, um, how to put this so you'll get it? Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so you know me, right? I'm a human. Um, hue. Man, and if I die, I'm gone. I'm dead. No more. Uh, but if for some reason I could like still be around and like talk and and do stuff, then I'm a ghost. It's like if you can you can see me and hear me when I'm not alive anymore. That's a ghost. Hmm. Ghost. Ghost is not human who can talk and do stuff. Robot is not human who can talk and do stuff. I am robot. I am ghost. I am ghost. Well, no. I am ghost. No, no. I am no. ghost. No, 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 no. I didn't mean. Hey, calm down. Hey. Just... No, no, you're not having done the keys. Cool. <laughs> yeah, and now you have one stuck over yourself. You do. You sort of look like a ghost now. <laughs> you know what? Fine. Be a ghost. I am ghost. Sure, you're a ghost. Happy? Yes, happy ghost. That's great, that's great, man. Well, let's go try to find everyone else, okay? They must be so worried about me. Uh, hold on a second, uh, what's this? Please present barcode for scanning. Please present barcode for scanning. I think it's just a name tag, but okay. Uh, hold on a second. Uh, hey, it does have a barcode. Ready? Processing, processing. Scan complete. Upgrade in progress. Upgrade? I just want to know what this is. Whoa, 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 
calm it down with the lights there, man. What are you doing? You're like a disco ball right now, man. Upgrade complete. Hello, manager zero zero two seven five six four eight nine eight four one. Manager? Is that what this is? Oh. Is this is this Greg's? Awaiting oh, instruction from manager. Uh, but I'm I'm not. I'm not. Well, I mean. Well, Greg isn't here now. Okay. Okay, I can I can do this. I'm doing this. I'm the manager now. found that the robots weren't actually so different from his old co-workers. He started to think maybe this new situation would be okay after all. Tim, he's the he's manager, manager now. now. Manager. Okay, sorry. I'm working on it. <clears throat> so the manager found out he was actually very good at middle management. He spoke with the robots got to know them. He tried to give them things to do that they were particularly good at or interested in. All in all, things were going well. So anyway, that's how I got the nickname that lasted through all of middle school. <laughs> Uh, you wouldn't believe how long it took to outlive that one. <laughs> no, there was this other time when, uh... What the hell? Why does that robot have a gun? Monthly bird removal program. Commence day 342 a.m. shit man you shoot the birds like like the birds that hang out in the rafters that hey hey that wasn't even at the air what are you doing are you even aiming that thing are you following me i'm not a bird man Cancel bird removal program. End bird removal program. Ah, cancel. Scan authorization code to cancel bird removal program. Yikes. Can you stop shooting long enough for me to scan? Authority not granted. Cancel bird removal program requires district or higher clearance. That was really close. What are you doing? Whoa, what is this? A uh, stairwell? Like a glowing hole of a stairwell? Where? Oh, I, I had no idea this was here. It's so dark. Lights, activate. Lights, on. 
Light start. Illumination. ourselves at the end of another episode and once again tim manager manager okay okay like i said i'm working on it changing the names no it's fine an amateur hour here once again we find tim manager manager shit i know i know that one was on me okay we once again find manager in a pickle. Has he been shot? Has he taken a tumble? Is he even alive? Stay tuned for, well, however podcasts work to find out. is brought to you by Catherine Guinness and Michelle Perinello Casey, featuring Benton Guinness as Tim and manager, Amber Meyer as the narrator, Matthew Van Gessel as ghost, and Sabrina M. Weiss as standby. Music written and performed by Grant Bolton.